Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 12 if you have your Bibles. And if that passage sounds familiar, it's because I have been there the last couple weeks. I guess this turned into a little mini-series. Last Sunday I talked about how God will allow there to be sifting in our lives, how we can be sifted, but it's ultimately to remove things that will hinder us. For Peter, it was his pride that was hinder him later on down the road. So the enemy came and requested that he could sift Peter as wheat. Jesus didn't say that you wouldn't go through it. He just said that I'll be with you while you're going through it. And then on the other end of that, your faith would be used to encourage other people. How many know and understand that it's the things that we walk through with our faith intact that we can turn around and encourage somebody else's faith? Amen? And then on Wednesday, I felt on my heart actually changed the direction that I was going that night and just talked about spiritual battles and the fact that we all, as a Christian, as a believer, you will have spiritual battles. You will have things that you will fight. You will have times when the enemy will come in and just fight you. Amen? But this morning what I want to talk about is in this scripture right here, we see that the enemy was kicked out of heaven, and he's not too happy about that. He's not real thrilled about getting kicked out of heaven. So the word kind of describes and tells us that he has come down and he has great wrath. Who is the wrath pointed at? The wrath is pointed at you and I as believers. You and I as the children of God, blood-bought, blood-washed saints who have faith in God and believe in Jesus, the enemy is going to come and he's going to do some things. It's the element of the enemy coming against us in this way. Everybody say accuser. He is called the accuser of the brethren. Let's look at this in our passage today, Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Father, we pray for these next few moments and minutes that, God, what is said isn't said under the natural or under anything of me, but, Lord, I pray for your anointing and your help. Holy Spirit, you said you would be our helper, so I ask that the helper come now and continue to do the work you're doing in our hearts already this morning, Lord. Let this word today be an extension of your work and and, an encouragement to the people of God. We pray for a building up in the most holy faith today, God, that you would encourage hearts, change lives, challenge us, convict us. We open our hearts now to everything you want to say and do for these next few minutes and moments. And God, we love you and we give you all the honor, praise, and glory. For it's in Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. And everybody said? If you agree with that this morning, you can say amen. One of the ways the, that the wrath and vindictiveness, vindictiveness that the enemy comes at us with because of the fact that he has been cast out, that we know from Scripture and we've covered it in the last couple of weeks, he was kicked out of heaven because he said, I will take the place of God. I will ascend to his throne. I will be setting myself up to be worshipped. And in that context, we know that scripture tells us the enemy is actually accusing believers. Everybody say accuser again. This is so important to set the foundation of what I want to talk about today because it literally says in there 
that it's not just a name that he's given based upon his name. His name was Lucifer. When we call the enemy Satan, understand that it's much like the Satan, right? Because it's the of what he does. For instance, if you were to call a plumber and you met him at the door and he's in fixing the kitchen sink, then you wouldn't remember his name perhaps and your wife walked in and said, what's going on in the kitchen? The plumber's in the kitchen fixing the sink, right? Well, let me put it in a sports analogy for some of you men maybe in here who could get this. You have a favorite quarterback. You know his name. You know his stats. You know all the thing. And when he messes up in a game, you think the quarterback messed up, right? It's the same thing here described in the Bible. His, by extension, calling him Satan is by extension, it's something that he does. And when we're talking about spiritual battles, oftentimes I get up here and I talk about, you know, the enemy attacking our finances or he's attacking our children or he's attacking our health or something in that regard. And really, truly, we sometimes forget that one of the main tactics of the enemy is to accuse the people of God. He's called the accuser. So it's something that he does to us, and we're going to go into five ways today of how the devil operates as the accuser. One of the reasons I want the, wanted the youth to stay in here, and if they'd listen to me um, this morning, understand that in the Bible, when Jesus was gone to be baptized, and he comes to the, the muddy river Jordan, and he comes down to the water, and John the Baptist is there, and what happens is he is baptized, he prays, and it says the heaven was opened, the dove descended, and God's voice spoke. How many know if you pray and those three things happen, you have a good prayer meeting? That's, that's what we want to see every time we pray is those three things. We want to see heaven opened. We want to see the Holy Spirit descend upon us and our congregation and our family. And trust me, you want to hear the word of the Father spoken over your life because I think there are two main attacks upon the people of God today that I have personally dealt with in pastoring people. I have dealt with personally in ministry and pastoring. And just as a child of God, he comes and he questions two things. He questions your security and he questions your identity. You say, well, where do you see that at? Where I see it is the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So he's giving Jesus in that moment. This is so important. Listen to me for the next few minutes. It's so important that we hear what God is saying over our lives because it is a weapon that you can use in order to defeat the accuser that comes against you. It is. Why why do I say this is so important? Jesus, the Son of God, is baptized. He goes into the wilderness, and the first thing that the enemy says to him is if. Everybody say if. if. If is a powerful word. If you are the son of God, and then he goes on to tempt him those several times. And can I tell you something this morning? I'll I'll give you probably the normal person in this room's experience, perhaps Sunday after Sunday, or you may not have been here for a year and you finally come back. And I'll tell you what happens to you because it's happened to me before, is I'll get in the presence of God. I'll get in a worship service. I will hear the sermon and take it to heart. I will be thinking to myself, Man alive, I could almost walk on water walking out of this place today. And some of you, by the time you get home, the mighty man or woman of God that walked out of here has already been defeated. 
Because maybe before you even get to your car and click your seatbelt, the devil has jumped on your back. Has anybody ever experienced that in this place? Absolutely we have. Because it's here's what the enemy does. Well, if you had really experienced God in there, you wouldn't be having this thought right now. If you had really gotten that word prophesied over you, you wouldn't really be thinking this right now or doing this right now. What it, what it is is the enemy as the accuser of the brethren is going to constantly be challenging you and saying to you, do you know what? You are a failure. Can I tell you in God you may have failed, but in God there is nothing such as a failure because if we pick ourselves back up and we continue to move towards God, guess what? That's a success. But here's what the enemy does, and he does it to all of us. Everybody in this room. Can, you might be thinking, I wish the person three rows back would hear what he's saying right now. Can I tell you, we have all failed God in some form or fashion. Come on, somebody. I'll say it to this side because I know this side better than that side for the most part. We have all failed God in some form or fashion. This is where my kids sit, and you guys pay attention. And that's what he does to us as the accuser of the brethren. Spiritual warfare is such a tricky thing to teach on. And I think it was even tricky for Paul in Ephesians when he taught on it. And don't forget, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the love of relationships and then it goes into spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about some super kooky, flaky, weird stuff that some of you folks get into. I'm talking about, listen to me, I'm talking about everyday real life. It's not yelling at the devil and rebuking something behind a rock. If your relationships are bad all through your life, can I tell you, that is spiritual warfare. And, and, and I mentioned this last week, but I'll say it again because it is so important. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Has anybody ever read, read that? A great book. But in the very opening of it, and it basically it's just a story of how demons operate. In the very beginning of the book, here's what, here's what the enemy was saying. He's saying it would be advantageous for people to do one of two things because it is extreme on either end. Either believe that everything that is going on in their life is the genesis of us as the enemy, or don't believe that the enemy is operating at all. And he said, if we can get people into one of those two camps, then we have already won. Can I tell you this morning as a pastor, some of the things that you're struggling with and dealing with, you are the genesis of the issue and the problem. Are you listening to me this morning? You, by making the choices you have made, have gotten yourself, can I tell you, God is gracious and merciful. He'll rescue you out of any pit. He'll, he'll pluck you up out of the miry clay and put your feet on a rock to stay. Amen? You like how I rhymed that right there? Yes. He will. But sometimes our own choices get us into that place. But can I also tell you, in, in Western culture, I've traveled, my wife and I have traveled as missionaries for several years, and it's really a Western culture mentality that thinks believing in the demonic and believing that the devil exists is too simplistic. Can I tell you that belief is too simplistic? Amen. Amen. In the world that we live in, there are you you have an enemy as a Christian, as a believer, and he comes against you, and I'm telling you, two of the main tactics 
The Bible says this in Corinthians. It says, we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. The devices there means several things. It means an arsenal. Or the word can even be have the connotation of a well-worn tools that he continually uses. Can I tell you something this morning? The devil has been studying us as humans for thousands of years. He's been on the scene well before that and will be till he's chained up and thrown in the bottomless pit. I just want to tell you this morning that he's got some tools in that old tool belt that if you were to see his arsenal, his schemes, his plans, the things that he has set out to do, and can I tell you one of the main ones this morning, and this is something that a lot of people deal with, is simply discouragement. That is like, if you were to see his tool belt, that one's just worn out. Because he has been using that on the people of God for so long. And I'll tell you the second one is accusation. Everybody say accusation. Accusation. That's where we're going this morning because here in in Revelation 12.10, he is called the accuser of the brethren. So where are some of the accusations that come from the enemy towards the people of God? Number one, if you're taking notes, he accuses us to God. He accuses us to God. That's what Revelation 12 is talking about. So what the enemy does to accuse us is the first relationship that he targets in accusation is God to us. Think of the story of Job. Anybody ever read the book of Job? Amazing. Because it kind of pulls back the curtain, right? And you can see behind the scenes a little bit of what is going on. And what happens is... The enemy shows up in basically a courtroom of heaven or shows up before God, and he says, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And then the enemy goes on to what? He begins to accuse. He begins to say, you know what? Job does love you, and you do love Job, but just pull away the hedge of protection for just a minute, and let's see how Job will really operate. He's operating in this instance as the accuser of us to God. Do you see that? Or in Zechariah, there's another really, really awesome story of Joshua. Now, this isn't the Joshua that led the people of God into Israel. This is the Joshua that is is a priest, and he comes before God. And as he comes before God, somebody else shows up on the scene, and his name is the Satan. Because as he is ministering, as he is talking, as he is praying... The, the enemy shows up and is literally shouting at God. And in the story, what he's shouting is he's saying this. He has spots on his garment. They weren't allowed to come into the presence of God with spots on their garment. Are you following me? They weren't allowed. So the enemy is there accusing and saying he doesn't. In other words, he is too dirty, right? He is too unclean. He doesn't deserve to be here praying the prayers that he's praying. And I love what the story says. God says, okay, go and get a white, clean linen robe and get a new turban and begin to place it on him. So the accuser is accusing us to God all through Scripture. And I'm telling you, he still likes to accuse us to God even today. If you're following me, say amen. So as he's praying, the enemy's on the other side accusing and shouting towards God. He can't be here. He's too dirty. He's too messed up. God, you can't do what he's asking. And this guy's just trying to go in and pray, and the enemy is doing everything he can to shout down his prayers. With what? Accusation. Everybody say accusation. 
So one of the ways the enemy will accuse us is us to God. Second way that the enemy likes to accuse us is accuses God to us. He accuses God to us. Think back to the garden for just a minute. In the garden was created perfection, perfect unity, perfect fellowship with God, perfect ability to be able to walk with God and talk with God and be with God. And how did the enemy show up? He showed up as a slithering snake. Does anybody else in here not like snakes? Amen. You guys know that I do not. Here's my confession this morning. I've tried to be macho about this. I've even tried to educate my fear of snakes out of me by joining a group that identifies snakes. And can I tell you, I try to be manly and I try to be macho. And here just a couple months ago, I was walking my dog in my yard along the side of the house, and here one came slithering about six feet in front of me, and I screamed like a girl. <laughs> like a three-year-old girl saw a snake, I screamed. Listen to me. Listen to me for just a minute. The snake shows up slithering and talking, and what was he talking about? He was accusing And making God's character out to be somebody that he wasn't. Am I right or wrong? He shows up and he says this. If God, did God really say? If you were to eat of this tree, then you would become like God. God, here's what he was trying to paint a picture of God as. Selfish, right? As self-centered, as trying to keep something from. It was for the purpose of their protection It wasn't for the purpose of anything but that. But the enemy comes along, and here's what he does to us as as Christians when he's accusing not just us to God, but God to us, is he begins to come in and he begins to talk to us about the character of God. Do you know you're listening to the snake when you begin to hear the enemy say this? And here's how he accuses, accuses the character of God to us. Here's what, if you want to know if you're listening to a slithering snake, if you had these thoughts, when you come into church, you look across the aisle and you say, those people are so blessed. I wonder why I'm not. God, God's delivered their kids. Why hadn't he delivered my kids? They are doing so well and God cares about them and God loves them. and God. Can I tell you who you're listening to this morning? You're listening to the accuser, the Satan, and he not only accuses us to God, but he'll come into your life and try to accuse God to us. Can I tell you what the truth is this morning? God is a good God and he's not a respecter of persons and he's not picking some out over here and blessing them more than he wants to bless you. He is a God that if you'll lay your whole entire life down before him and worship him and follow him he absolutely wants and desires to bless your life but if you are came in here today and you have that thought of man i just i just don't believe god's good it's the snake you're listening to the accuser listen this is as much spiritual warfare as binding and loosing and doing any other spiritual warfare sometimes the spiritual warfare that is going on in our lives is whose voice are you listening to What voice is getting in there? What voice are you tracking with? So he not only accuses God to us, but thirdly, here's what he'll do. 
he will accuse us to others. Amen? Oh, come on. Sometimes he will accuse us to others. What does he do? He goes to other people and he begins to point out our flaws. The best way to handle this is to be like me and not have any flaws. Amen, Leah? She didn't say amen. She didn't say that. But seriously, Ephesians tells us very clearly that we've been on the last couple services. It tells us very clearly, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. And he puts this really high level, Paul does, principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And he paints a picture of the strength of the enemy. I think that's important because we are not facing an enemy that doesn't have power and strength. You hear that this morning. But I love what he goes on to say, but stand. <laughs> Just when, when, when people are accusing you, and listen to me, some of you are getting accused because the Bible says avoid every appearance of evil, and you've put yourself in a place where you haven't done that, so some of you don't need to rebuke the enemy. You just need to use good old-fashioned wisdom. But for some of the rest of you, you have been accused by other people. And the reason that I point out that it says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but in other words, people are not the problem. So if old Freddie and Beulah are mean, it's probably because they've been listening to a snake. So what does that cause us to do? Have mercy and grace and patience with other people because it's not, all, it's not always their mind making this stuff up and lying about you and talking about you. And can I tell you something this morning? I mean, my goodness, we, we are the worst about coming in and maybe three rows over, you saw somebody on social media doing something ungodly on Friday night and you have the thought today of I don't know why in the world they would come in the house of God and they're out doing this and doing... Can I tell you what better place for them to be is in the house of God? Where else would you want them to be? Because maybe God can reach down lower than they can reach up higher and they have an experience with Him and their lives are radically changed by Him. Can I tell you? I don't care what you were doing on Friday night. I care that you're in the house of God hearing His Word this morning. And the reason that the church has become the church that it has and so religious and so exclusion of all these different people, we've been listening to a snake. Because he accuses us to God and God to us and then he'll come into a church and he'll begin to accuse other to other people. That's what he does. He's the Satan. That's not just... He loves to operate in this way. He loves to operate in talking about other. The enemy is accusing. We see this in the example in the Old Testament of Korah. Jude warns us about the rebellion of Korah. And the example of Korah was simply this. He began to listen to a snake. And Moses was the leader. And Moses was in charge. And the snake comes along and says, you know what? Moses doesn't really care about you. Moses really isn't doing a good job. Moses really isn't all there. Moses is this. and Moses. Do you understand he was listening to a snake? And influenced other people, and it actually caused a great difficulty for the people of God. He accuses us to others. 
And it's not about, it's not if, but when someone is used by the enemy to falsely accuse us and betray us. The question is, in our response when that happens, I think we see two things laid out in Scripture. Are you going to follow the dragon or are you going to follow the lamb? Because we, we all get falsely accused. We all have people say things about us, but we all have a choice. When they're being used and listening to the slithering snake, you can choose to get mad and say, bless God, come on. Amen. It's on. You're going to talk about me, I'm going to talk about you. You're going you're to be used by the snake, snake, come on. It's a choice that we all have to operate in love and kindness Amen. and operate in forgiveness because, again, let me point out, a lot of people don't even realize they're being used by the enemy. They don't. We can have compassion and pray for those people and pray because he's the Satan. He's the, he's the one that accuses. Number four is this. He accuses others to us. Come on, some of you were about to shout when I was talking about other people lying to you, but you have the same proclivity to listen to the snake as anybody else in this room does. Yes. Amen? Amen? The same snake that lies to other people is the same snake that lies to you. Yes. He's caused us to not give some people the benefit of the doubt. He's caused us not to have a mindset of mercy and grace for others because all we can hear is what the snake is telling us about those folks. And we get judgmental, and we get an attitude, and we... It's because we're listening to a snake. He's pointing out someone out, and you just can't get over it. You may have come in here this morning, and they may be sitting there near you. Don't look around. <laughs> and you were trying to worship, and you were trying to, to worship God. And there in that instance, somebody, the enemy comes and just starts to point things out. Can I tell you, if he's talking, he's lying. Because he is the father. He is the generator of lies. That's how you know that. And listen, you can discern his voice because the Holy Spirit didn't come in this room and start to point out other people's flaws. It's not his. He'll come to them. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. You got something going on in your life? And listen to me. What I'm talking about today isn't an excuse to fall. But when you fall, you can get back up knowing that you have an advocate with the Father. And his name is Jesus Christ. So, he'll accuse others. He'll accuse others to us and us to others, right? Here's a fifth way he uses accusation. This is probably the most dangerous, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of time here as we end, and we've got communion to do this morning. But here's, here's the most dangerous one. He is going to accuse you to yourself. He is going to accuse you to yourself. And it's when you start to feel the condemnation and shame and the enemy begins to convince you that the mistakes of your past are going to prevent the miracles in your future. And what we do when we're accusing ourself to ourself, and, and that's going on in our lives, we just kind of look in the mirror and we begin to say, man, I just, I mean, have you ever done this? You just look in the mirror and say, man, I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to overcome this addiction in my life. I'm never going to get over 
what somebody did to me in the past. I'm not ever really going to be able to be used by God because of X, Y, and Z. And what is happening is you are accusing yourself to yourself. And the reason that is so dangerous is because it's not people out here at this point that are making an accusation. And it's not even what's going on in heaven. It is what goes on on the inside of you on a continual basis that becomes the greatest place of spiritual warfare is some of you are just telling yourself that you'll never get back up and that God doesn't want to bless you and that God is not for you and that God isn't going to do what he said he would do. And guess what it does? It keeps you from your destiny. Some people right here in this room have thought, man, I'd just really like to get involved in this or I'd really like to go to the school or I'd really like to get involved in ministry. I'd like to greet. I'd like to teach kids church. But then you start talking to yourself and then the snake jumps in on top and begins to agree with everything you're saying. And can I tell you this morning, none of us are worthy to be used by God. It's only by his grace and his goodness and his great mercy. So the greatest place of accusation sometimes in our life is just on the inside. You say, what's an example of this in the Bible? Everybody say Moses. Moses. Everybody probably here knows most of his story, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest for somebody that may not. Moses was a Hebrew that was raised in Pharaoh's palace because he was put in the river, so his mom didn't want him to be. The Egyptians were going through and killing the firstborn and all these things were going on. So out of safety, and he ends up in Pharaoh's palace. Well, he finds out at some point that he's actually a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. And he sees his people being abused and beaten, and it touches his heart. He, he can't stand this. So in anger at one point, he sees one of his fellow Hebrews, one of the, one of the Israelite people, getting beaten. And out of his anger, what does he do? He commits murder. And he flees and he runs away from what God had been calling him and preparing him and wanting him to do. His choice, he did it, and he fleed from what was going on. Now we know this, he ends up out in the desert. He ends up, uh, I don't know, he, he met up with a shepherd at some point. The shepherd must have had some really pretty daughters because he marries one of them. And by marrying one of them, he becomes a shepherd and by being a shepherd at some point I imagine he was giving a shepherd staff that was culturally what they did they carried and had a shepherd staff that they would walk through the desert my point is simply this he fled he fled from what God wanted him to do and he ends up in the desert fleeing from the mistake and fleeing from the past and fleeing from what happened he ends up in the desert and culturally here's what they would do George they would, they would have the shepherd's staff, and by the shepherd's staff, what they would do culturally is they would carve into the shepherd's staff historical things that happened in their lives. So when they had time and they're watching over the sheep and they're out in the back of the desert, he probably carved in there the day that he married his wife. Later on, he probably carved in there the day that his kids were born. He probably carved in there the day that perhaps a bear came along and tried to kill the sheep, and he won a great victory, so that was carved in there. But listen to me. A week turned into a month, turned into a year, that turned into 40 years, and I just have a sneaking suspicion that somewhere in his thought, 
life, walking around the desert for 40 years, the snake had been talking to him over and over and over to the point where one night while he's watching the flock out on the backside of the desert, he probably took his staff and carved perhaps the date that he made the most biggest mistake that he ever made in his life. So it was continually before him. Some of you, your past is continually before you. And can I tell you this morning, your failure is never greater than God's grace and God's mercy and ability to turn something around that the devil meant for evil. God can and will turn it for good, but you have to get over the past and start looking towards the future that God has for you. You say, well, how do you know all that? I don't know. I'm, I'm giving you my thoughts on the passage because later on what happens? He encounters a burning bush. And the burning bush, God's speaking through a bush that's not consumed by fire. And what does he have in his hand? He has a staff. He has a staff in his hand. And the reason I know the snake had been probably talking to Moses is that, and it was great that he was a shepherd, but he wasn't called to be a shepherd of sheep. He was called to be a shepherd of God's people. So he wasn't fulfilling what God had for him. So what did God have to deal with in that moment? God had to come and deal with the snake that had been talking to him for 40 years. Because what does he begin to do? I, 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 I'm not eloquent. I, I, I'm not able to talk to those people. I've been out of the palace for so long, I don't even know the protocol anymore. And any time that you hear the s- it's the snake. Moses, you've messed up too bad. Keep watching the sheep. Moses, you've made too many mistakes. Keep watching the sheep. Moses, you have gone too far. Keep watching the sheep. And the reason I believe this is because he said, what's in your hand? What have you been looking at for 40 years? You've been looking at the mistake. What do you tell him to do? Throw it down. What did it become? How did he pick it up? He grabbed that bad boy by the tail. It's because God is prophetically telling him, Moses, if you don't get a hold of the snake that's in your life and you don't finally allow me to get you over your past because your past does not predict your future this morning, if God is for you, who can be against you? And that is the truth of God's word. Moses, I I am will be with you. Then what does he do when he goes before Pharaoh? Let my people go. Well, who are you? He, th- he throws down his staff and it becomes a... And he says, Pharaoh says, I can do that. He says, I can do that. He calls out his magicians and what do they do? They make snakes. But I love this in the story. This is just me enjoying this story. <laughs> it is. Because Moses kind of kicks the back of the snake and says, get over there and eat those dudes. <laughs> and they ate them and he grabbed it by the tail again and it became his staff. Listen to me this morning. When we begin to become the greatest accusers of ourself, sometimes the enemy doesn't even need any help because you're living so defeated 
in what God has called you to do. And here's the areas in spiritual warfare. That's what we've been talking about the last three weeks. And I just want to drop this in there. I want you to invite a friend, invite somebody. My, one of my two pastors, Pastor Wes Courtney is one of them in Walker. And the other one is Hal Santos up in uh, St. Louis. I found out he's going to be in town this week. And I said, you're coming to preach at Christian Center Church next Sunday. So he's going to be here next Sunday. So this will conclude our series that I didn't even intend on starting on spiritual warfare. But listen to me, some of the the most intense spiritual warfare that you will experience in your Christian life revolves around your identity and your security. Because if he can affect your identity and you never figure out who you are in Christ, you will never become everything that God has for you to become. Because when you know who you are in Christ, what does that do? It breeds security. And security will then breed your identity. And then when you know who you are, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying about you. It doesn't matter and understand something very important. When you get to know your identity in Christ, what it does is it causes us to such a place of identity that when the devil comes and begins to accuse God's character, and he will, you'll go through something that the enemy will slither in And he'll simply begin to say, well, I told you God wasn't for you. You wouldn't have lost that family member if God really loved you. It's what he does. He's the accuser of the brother, and he's the accuser of God to us. But when you figure out your identity, and you're so secure and understand how much God is really for you, and how much he does really love you, It'll change the whole outlook, and you will then be able to battle against the lies. Everybody say lies. Because that's what they are. When Jesus is spoken to over the Father, those are five areas of accusation. Those are five areas that we deal with. We, we deal with, with, with the enemy accusing us to God. Then he'll come along and he'll accuse God to us. Did God surely say? Did God really say that he loved you? Well, he loves all those other people, Christian Center Church. But I don't think he really loves you. And then he'll go to other people and he'll plant something in their mind about you that's not even true. And then... God forbid he comes to one of us and begins to speak to us about somebody across the room. Ah, bless God, I I knew they didn't like me. They don't even know your name. You know how many times I deal with this as a pastor? I just don't think he really likes me. I'm a pastor. I love you. I do. I may not know you that well, but I love you. That's the enemy. You know how many people the enemy has run out of this church? Because they're so insecure of who... Of, of, don't find your security in if the pastor said hello to you this morning. Because if you do, that's, that's somebody the enemy can come in and, and mess with. If you find your identity that I am a blood-bought, redeemed child of the living God then listen, when you walk out of here, nothing has changed. When you walk into work tomorrow morning, because how many people have lost their victory by Monday morning 
because they have fallen in some form. And I'm not promoting falling. Everybody hear what I'm saying this morning. Not promoting that. I'm saying that some of you have fallen and for years you haven't gotten back up because the enemy has accused you to yourself over and over and over and over again. And can we just say this morning, like John 10 says, it says that he has given us authority to trample on serpents and all the power of the enemy. And we love to come against the enemy when it comes to our finances and come against the enemy when it comes to our physical well-being. And we believe God can heal us and we believe God can bless us and we believe... But we never deal with the snake that is accusing and maybe even, God forbid, using us to accuse somebody else or, God forbid, accusing ourselves to ourselves. Because when Jesus comes up out of the water, it's so dynamic and it's so incredibly spiritually what he's actually doing in that moment because he says, this is. What is that doing? It's, it's rooting Jesus in the identity of who he is. And you may say, yeah, but that's Jesus. I told somebody just the other day, I said, do you realize he had not done any miracles? He had not done any of his might. He hadn't started it. We think that ministry is what makes us acceptable to God. Can I tell you, you'll never have productive ministry unless you get this worked out. Because trust me, if you get up into the ministry, you will be attacked relentlessly. And he just said, in this moment, this is my son. He said, my son. What does that denote? What's a weapon we can use against the enemy when he speaks, my son, my child? Can I, can I help you this morning? Seriously, this, this really filtered into my spirit very, so strongly. He said, this is my son, which gave him authority. Because if the, if the father had the authority, the son now had authority. So you not only have identity of this is, but also the authority of my child. And some of you are a child of God on Sunday, but then you've lost your identity by Monday. What if my kids came to the breakfast table every single morning and said to me, am I still your child? Here's what it would do. I, I literally was praying about this this morning. Do you know what that would do? It would begin to hurt my feelings. Yeah. It would begin to call into, into question my character. Because what would it be, be about my character that my kids would be terrified that I love them not based on what they do. I love them based on who they are. They're my child. Are you following me? Yeah. You say, you said this was going to help me. How does this help me? When you repent... And when you come into the kingdom and you lay down your life to Christ, you become a child of the Most High God. There's a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And listen, you are living in defeat because you've never received and understood that you are a child of a king of the universe. When you get that revelation, sin becomes beneath you. It becomes something that the enemy can no longer attack. So he, he, he roots him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, well, that's Jesus. He hadn't done any of his miracles. He was just pleased of who he was. He was just pleased that he was being obedient to get down into the water and be obedient to be baptized. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> The weapons that we have against the enemy when he comes as the Satan, as he comes as the accuser, can I tell you, the weapon that we have is understanding something very important about our salvation. 
that literally the connotation all throughout Scripture, everybody say justified. justified. You say, how can you preach this today and, and, and understand that if you are saved and you are in the blood, under the blood, if you are in Christ this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment and say, no, that's not me. I'm, come, in, come on in. Justified means just as if I had never sinned. So listen, when he goes to the Father with accusations, and this helps filter down into our relationships, spiritual warfare is as much about your relationships this morning as it is about the big attack coming. It is. It filters down to all of our relationships in this, that when he comes to accuse, listen to me this morning, It's just God has a big eraser. When you have truly repented and when you have truly asked God, when you confess your sins to the Lord, when you confess your sins to God, it's like God's in heaven in the book and he's erasing it in that moment. And all that the Father can hear is drip, 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 drip. You have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. You have a mediator, and it's not some priest. Come on. It's him. It's him. He is the mediator between God and man. The way has been opened through a new living way by what? His blood. Listen to me. The rest of Revelation 12, right after, this is what it says, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, loving not their lives even unto death. That's pretty important too. There is no halfway in the kingdom. You've got to be completely sold out to Him. But the blood of the Lamb, and that's how you overcome. Understanding that His blood was shed for you to make you a child of God. And if the enemy this morning is trying to convince you that you're not, it's usually a pretty good sign that you are. Because why would He be trying to convince you of something you're not? Amen. He's not going to do it. So drip, drip, drip. You under, and I didn't plan on saying this. Do you understand what an incredible irony the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus was? You say, why do you say it's an irony? Here was the great high priest Caiaphas who was to be the protector and the prayer and the one who interceded for Israel on behalf of the people to God. Here's the actual true mediator standing before him. And instead of looking at Jesus and wanting to protect him, he wants to put him to death. Think about that for a minute. It shows you how twisted shows you how twisted the enemy can make us sometimes. So we have to be listening for the voice of the accuser. We have to be listening. Listen. We have to be listening of the voice of the accuser that's accusing. Here, number one, stand with me. Tam, if you'd come. And guys, if you'd start to get ready, and I'll tell you in just a minute with the, uh, with the communion, but just kind of come on out and be ready there at the back with it. Number one, and this is, this is where I want to go first, is the enemy's such an expert of accusing. We, we're not privy to when he goes to heaven and starts to accuse us. We're not privy to that, but I tell you what we are privy to. We're privy to the voice that comes and starts to say something about God that's not true. And trust me, he does it all the time. Again, what does that sound like? Well, God really loves that person because they're blessed, but 
don't think he really cares anything about me because if he did, this is what would happen or this or this. Can I tell you whose voice that is? That is the accuser. Or he comes and he begins to talk to you about other people. That is so dangerous. Or thirdly, and very importantly, he begins to talk to you about you. He begins to come and accuse and come and talk about all the past things, just like Moses. Moses didn't feel worthy. And can I tell you something? Moses wasn't worthy. It didn't. It didn't, it didn't do away with the fact that he reacted in anger and did something he shouldn't have done. But can I tell you, when we're listening to the lies, how we know we're listening to them is when God comes with a plan and a purpose and wants to move us forward, we give him all the reasons of why we can't. And sometimes you just got to deal with that snake. Sometimes you, you've got to let heaven open over you this morning and let the Holy Spirit descend upon your life and hear the voice of the Father. Now, bow your head and close your eyes because some of you haven't put yourself in a place of position like Jesus did through obedience. And what do I mean by obedience? The obedience to bow your heart to the Lord in repentance. So I want to take this moment of the service to simply say this. God loves you so much, and he has a plan for your life, but you may have walked in here with a very, very big problem, and it's this problem. You have never repented and turned away from that which is the sin issue and the things in your life and and laid everything down before him. That's a problem. Before you ever see the heaven open, before you ever receive the Holy Spirit, before you ever, and here's the thing, here's the beautiful part of it. It's not hard. The hard part was done on the cross. Our part is to receive and believe. So with every head bowed and eye closed, and I'll even walk up the aisle here just a little bit so I can see everybody. You say, today is the day that I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Where I want to I want, I want, want to lay everything down before him. Anybody in here, just shoot your hand up right there where you are, and we're going to spend some time praying. Amen. 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 Come on, today could be a great day. We don't embarrass anybody here. This is between you and the Lord. We're going to lead you to a place. And and listen, this is what it's about. It's about believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. One simple thing, Jesus died for me. Jesus was buried for me. And Jesus rose again. And he paid the price of my sin. That's That's what you're believing in. That he lives even today and stands before the Father and makes intercession for us, for his children. We have several people that shot their hand up. Can we all pray together this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you honestly. I come to you to pour out my heart. I come to repent of my sin, to lay it aside, to ask you to forgive me, to wash me clean. I ask you today to take out this heart of stone. And put in a heart of flesh. God, I believe in you. I confess today that you died. You were buried. You were risen. And you live forevermore. Forgive me. I receive your forgiveness now. 
I devote to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank God for salvation today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.